born as a little baby boy in Bethlehem. And uh, it's right that we focus on that. Because it's, it's a most amazing miracle that the world has ever seen. That, that God could, could become a, a, a little baby and be born as, as a baby. But you know, we need to make sure that we don't stop there. Because we can see this Christmas period as, as being Jesus kind of coming into the world as, as, as something small and, and fairly insignificant. But what we have to realise, actually, is that Jesus is massive. And these verses actually describe the enormity of who Jesus is. He willingly made himself nothing. He willingly came to this world. And he grew up as a man and he went to the cross and he died for our sin. He paid for our sin on the cross. He died, but then he rose again. And he ascended into heaven. And he did all that for us. And we need to have this big view of Jesus. That yes, he came as a little baby, but he's now seated on high. Seated at God's right hand. So don't think of Jesus as somebody small that that you might sort of find room for in your life. And kind of, he won't take up much space and it won't be much of an inconvenience because Jesus is only small. He's that little baby in Bethlehem. No, we need to see Jesus as as enormous, as huge, massive. And we need to find our place in him. We don't look for Jesus to find his place in us. We find our place in him. And so I want to focus on that little phrase in the middle of the verses I read. And I'm just going to put up those few words because that's what we're going to look at this morning. All things were created by him and for him. So the first phrase there is, All things were created by him, by Jesus. And it's a simple statement, isn't it? But it's one that cuts across all popular belief in our Western society now. You go to school and uh, you you do your science lessons. You you look at the TV, you look at nature programmes, you look in our media. Nobody really in those contexts, very few anyway, will say all things were created by him. What you get straight away is evolution, that we're a product of chance. I watched the documentary, you may have seen it through this year, The Lost Land of the Jaguar. It was a wonderful documentary about these scientists that that went to Guyana and and, and discovered all the kind of animals and and plant life there. And, And the first episode, I was really excited when I watched it. Because they were talking about these wonderful animals and they were saying, this animal is a a brilliant design because it's so well suited to its environment. I was thinking, wonderful. A nature program that talks about design. But then in the second and third episode, they went on to talk about evolution and and how they had evolved and it, it lost it. Do you know, we are bombarded with the message that we are products of chance. One of my uh, old work colleagues, some of my old work colleagues tended to speak their mind, and uh, one of them said, I can't believe you are one of those knuckle-dragging morons that believe that the world was created. 
I quite like the expression. I didn't quite like it applied to me, but knuckle-dragging moron. It kind of had a good ring to it. But that's the way it is, isn't it? In this kind of, did we evolve? Were we created? Debate. Do you know, it's such an important issue. Because if evolution is true, what that means is that there is no need for God. If the world just kind of evolved and became what it is now out of chance, then actually you don't need God in that equation. And yet, if evolution is seen to be on wobbly ground, then something else must be true. And God might just exist. Now, many very eminent scientists have started to take this view that actually there must be a designer. But many people just don't want to go there. Now, I want to try something this morning, which is a bit of an experiment and a bit of a risk, to be honest. But I have a theory. And my theory is that even a child can easily see the holes in the theory of evolution. That it doesn't take a high intellect, massive degrees and high science. Even a child can see where evolution falls down. And that's what we're going to try and do if, if we can. You see, all the while, what we must remember is that the Bible simply says... All things were created by him. It has an answer. There are three main claims of evolution. That everything originated with a big bang. That life, the first living things, emerged from a a soup of of chemicals. And then that complex animals, like, like man, evolved from less complex Animals, like like monkeys. And all the while, the Bible says, all things were created by him. So let's look at those three claims. Ask anybody how the universe got going, and you're going to get the answer on you. What was at the very beginning? It was the Big Bang. Okay, That's the commonly held view. That all matter in the universe, it was squashed into a tiny point, and uh, one day it all went boom. And it it flung matter into space. And, uh, I mean, right or wrong, I think if there was a bang at the start of the universe, it was the voice of God. But, do you know what the scientists would say? No, it was just this explosion. The question is, the question we need to answer, though, is where did all that stuff come from? Where was it before the bang? And so what we need to do this morning is we need to recreate our Big Bang, okay? So what we're going to use is a party popper. Now, obviously, a party popper is not going to be as much of a bang as the Big Bang, but it's okay because I've got 12. (laughs) So what I need is, uh, if, if you are in uh, year six or below, just wave at me if you'd like a party popper to pop. Okay. Don't pop it yet. I don't really believe you're less than year six, Harry Carr, but uh, that was going behind you, that one. I can't throw that far. My goodness. Oh, there's a few hands there. 
That'll do. Any more over here? Oh, down there. Oh, one for me. I need one. Okay. So, uh, it's mainly adult supervision. Please, nobody maim themselves. Okay, let's create our bank. After three, okay? You ready? Is everybody ready? After three. One, two, three. (laughs) Whee! Okay, so it wasn't a massive bang, but that was as best as we can do. Now I need a child to interview. Who have we got? If you're uh, uh, in year... uh, Seven. If you're in year six or below, just just wave at me. I'm going to come and talk to Emily. Is that right? Look of horror. Okay, now this party popper was the one I pulled, okay? So so this is dead. Do you like party poppers? Yes. Yes, okay. If you look at this party popper, which is now popped, can you say where all those streamers were before I pulled the string? If you look at that. Did you see all the streamers come out? Did you, do you think they were pretty? Yeah. Okay. If you look at that, do you know where all the streamers are before it's popped? Can you point to it? They're in there. Do you not think that the, all the streamers were just kind of magically created at the time that, that, that we pulled the string? No. Okay. Thank you, Emily. Now, Emily has rightly pointed out that before the popper is pulled, all the streamers are packed very tightly in the party popper. So, if this was our big bang, we wouldn't really have answered the question, where does the stuff come from? Even a child knows that if there's a bang, the stuff must be there beforehand. Now, it may seem like a simple question, but you know, there is not a scientist on this planet that can tell you where the stuff came from for the Big Bang. It's an unanswered question. And uh, do you know what the Bible says? It says, all things were created by him. It actually provides an answer. Okay, the next thing. How did life begin? Now, this is where it gets a little bit complicated, okay? To make life, to make a living cell, what you have to do is you have to get a whole bunch of carbon and a whole bunch of hydrogen and a whole bunch of oxygen atoms and you have to join them together in just the right way into kind of strings of chemicals and they are called amino acids, And then you have to get a whole bunch of amino acids. Not all of them. You have to select them very carefully. And you have to join them together in just the right way. And if you join them together in just the right way, you make things called proteins. You then have to take the proteins. You have to arrange them into these hugely complex structures. And then you might have a cell. A single cell. It may or may not function as a living cell, because to be honest, this has never been done. Nobody knows how to do it. There was an experiment back in the 50s 
when uh, a scientist took some chemicals, bombarded it with masses of energy and created an amino acid. And, uh, and, and it was hailed as, as this successful experiment showing that life could be created. But actually, the, the conditions that were used for that experiment were, were completely false and fabricated and, and nothing like anything that could exist on, on Earth. The chance of making a single protein, by chance, is mind-bogglingly small. And I need to try and demonstrate that this morning. What I have here are six piles of what we're going to call a little chemicals, okay? Oh, there's only five. Five piles. See, I can't even do the counting. Here's another one. Now, if I pick those chemicals in the right order, and stick them up here in the right order, then I might get something that is alive. But I have to get the order right. If I get the order right, it's just gibberish. Now I need another helper. Bethany, can you count to five? One, two, three, four, five. Fantastic. Okay, now what I want you to do is choose a number from one being the lowest, five being the highest. Three. Three. And now choose another number. One. One. And now choose another number. Four. So we've got three, one, four, and another one. Five. Five. Three, one, four, five. What does that leave? Two. Two. Three, one, four, five, two. Three, one, four, five, two. <laughs> okay. Now at my piles here, I'm just going to turn them over so we can't see. Three, one, four, five, two. So I'm going to pick, start off with number three. Ah, see, it's not looking good. And then number one. Number four. You see, all you had to do was get them in the right order. Bailey. It's not alive. Let's have one more go. Because all you've got to do is pick them in the right order and we'll create something that's alive. Who else would like to go? Okay. Um, Don't do it too quickly because I've got to remember it. Two. Two. Three. Three. Four. Four. Five. Five. One. One. That's not too difficult to remember. Thank you. <clears throat> two. Get rid of this one. Two. Three. Four. uh, Five. One. Alvi. Do you know what the chance is of getting it right with those five? Letters. I was fairly confident. 
there is a one in 120 chance of choosing those five letters in the right order. Now, that's obviously just five components. To make a single protein, there are millions. Someone has reckoned that if you took all the carbon that exists in the universe and you bombarded it with all the energy that is available, the chance of creating a single protein is one chance in ten with 60 zeros after it. It's really very unlikely to happen. And you've still then got to arrange those proteins and loads like them into something that represents a living cell. Michael Denton says this, we now know not only of the existence of a break between the living and the non-living world, but also that it represents the most dramatic and fundamental of all the discontinuities of nature between a living cell and the most highly ordered non-biological system, such as a crystal or a snowflake, there is a chasm as vast and absolute as it is possible to conceive. And you know what? Many scientists now believe that the most likely explanation for there being life on Earth is that it came from outer space. And that's how it started. But there's no evidence to support that. And in fact, it doesn't really answer the question, because how did life get in outer space if it was to come here? It's, it's grappling in the dark. Do you know what the Bible says? All things were created by him. Now, you need to ask yourself, which is more likely? There are around two and a half billion people in the world who believe the Bible and what it says about Jesus. You might say that there's a, what is, what is that? That's a, a one in four, roughly, chance that actually what the Bible says is true. Now, for me, they are better odds, actually. I think it's more likely that what God says in his word is the truth. But then there's one more thing. Where did man come from? Darwin's theory of the origin of species is freely taught as facts in our schools and on television. Do you know that there has never been an experiment or any observation of any kind that has supported the theory of evolution? When Darwin was, was around, which was in the 19th century, there were very few fossils that had been discovered. They, they just hadn't found that, that many rocks with fossils in them. And uh, Darwin was confident that these would all be found in time and, and, uh, and that they would display, when these fossils were found, that they would display evolution taking place of one species into another. In fact, according to Darwin, he said this himself, if the fossil record does not demonstrate evolution, then evolution has surely not taken place. And since that time, many thousands of fossils have been discovered. They found them in rocks all over the place. But you know, there has not been a single link between species shown. So I can just show you simply how, how silly that is. I have here three boxes. This is box number one. This is box number three. 
this is box number two. Let me put that there like that. Can everybody see those roughly? This is uh, my friend the cow. This is my friend the whale. Now, uh, before uh, anybody's too smart, so this is a killer whale, which technically is not a whale. It's a separate thing. But uh, this is the closest I could get to a whale, all right? So this is a whale. Now, evolution would tell you that in order to get mammals back into the sea, because whales and dolphins are mammals, that they evolved from things that were like cows. So, one day you had cows, and then sometime later you had whales. So it's like I could put my cow in box number one, some point in time. I could put my whale in box number three. The question is, what's in box number two? Let's have a child. Come on, who's little? Wave at me if you're, if you're little. Can you tell me, first of all, what is in box number one? Uh, cow. Cow. What is in box number three? Killer whale. And what is in box number two? Nothing. Nothing. Thank you. Now, that might seem obvious, but you know there is not a scientist in the world who can tell you what comes in box number two. That can tell you what is between. How did the cow get to the whale? Was there like a half sort of land cow with flippers? Was, was there a, a, a thing that swam in the sea with others? Do you know, no, nobody can tell you. There is nothing in box number two. And then it gets a bit more personal. It's my friend the monkey. Now scientists will tell you that over a long time, the monkey developed into the man. That the monkey is in box number one, it's just waving. So there you go. Help. And the man is in box number three. <laughs> now let's have another child to help me. Wave at me if I've asked you. Okay, Alice. What's in box number one? Monkey. What's in box number three? A person. And what's in box number two? Nothing. Nothing. Now what if, for example... I take my monkey and I put him all the way over here. And I take my man and I put him all the way over here. Is there anything in box number two? No. <laughs> Scientists will tell you if you increase the time frames, if you make it over millions of years, if you stretch the distance between box number one and box number three, then that gives an opportunity for something to get into box number two. But does it? Box number two is just as empty as it ever was. Do you know what? A child can understand this. There are massive gaping holes in evolution. And the Bible says all things were created by him. It seems to me that it's actually reasonable to assume 
that all things were created by Jesus. It stands to reason. Scientifically, what the Bible says fits the evidence. I'm an engineer. I like to have things proven to me. I like to use my reason. It seems reasonable to me to conclude that the Bible is true. So if everything was created by him, we have to work through the implications. Because if everything was created by Jesus, then what the Bible says is true. And what the Bible says is that everything was created by him and for him. If everything was created by him, we have to conclude that everything was created for him. And that has a personal implication for you. It means that you were created by Jesus. Personally. The psalmist writes in in Psalm 139 how he was fearfully and wonderfully made and and how God knit him together in, uh, in his mother's womb. Think about what that means for you. And you might think, yeah, okay, I, I, I can believe that, that God created me. You know, I think about the, the letters, the monkeys, you know, okay, yeah, that seems ridiculous. I'll go with the Bible. God created me. But that means that you were created for him, for his glory, for his honour. And at this start of 2009, lots of people are asking, what's it all for? You put your money in the bank and and the bank collapses. You you go for a promotion and and the company folds. I can't remember in in my lifetime, which I know isn't as long as some, but I can't remember a start of a new year being met with such a kind of feeling of pessimism and, and kind of gloom. People are asking, what's it all for? But the real answer is clear. All things were created for him. Your whole purpose as a human being is to live for him. That's what you are called to do. That is your, your main purpose. The, the Westminster Catechism had it right. It said all things are created by him and, uh, no it doesn't, it says a man's chief end is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. So, At the start of 2009, don't ask, where will this little baby Jesus fit into my life? Ask yourself, how can I fit into the life of Jesus? He is massive. He is the sovereign creator of all things. He is the sovereign creator of me. How can I organise my priorities around the priorities of Jesus? How can I organise my mission with the mission of Jesus. Do you know, Jesus is passionate about the lost, about gathering a people to himself who can declare the praise of, of the Father. He's passionate about building a, a strong and vibrant church. He's passionate about helping the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. So, do you know, we, we, we shouldn't ask too much, what can God do for me this year? We should be asking, what can I do for him? How can I fit into his purposes and his plans? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, all things were created by him and for him.
Let's just uh, sing another song, shall we, as, as we leave. I'll invite Alex back, but I'm just going to uh, pray. I think, why don't we stand together and, uh, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the wonder of your creation. When we look around us and we see such majesty in this world, it causes us to marvel at your greatness and your goodness to us. And Lord Jesus, we just want to, uh, at the start of, of this year, we want to dedicate ourselves to you again. Recognising that you are our creator and we live for you. Take us, take our lives, mould us into the people you would have us be. Show us how we can serve you and honour you and worship you in our lives. Do it for your glory. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that through this year, Lord, like the wise man who built his house on solid ground, we might build our, our lives on the foundation of you and your word. Bless us, we pray, and glorify your name. Amen. Amen.